Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. episode 71 of the send the edge podcast i'm just mosqueda you can find me on twitter at j-u-m-o-s-q i'm here with my co-host charles mcdonald and you can find him on twitter at forverts and we're here with a very special guest eric stoner he used to be at bo jackson no longer has a twitter account say what's up people eric how we doing guys doing good we're glad to have uh bo jackson eric stoner in the flesh back on the show what's up i know it's been a while not too much man not too much, just uh, trying to survive while raising this kid. What are your keys to, to having a kid during football season? Like, what, what um, have you learned? Make sure you have a good woman. <laughs> Major key. For real, though, Major like, for football key. season, it wasn't too bad because he was, an, like, an infant infant. He was born the first week of August. So, he, like, when they're that small, they can't really – got to give them attention and feed them and – change him and everything but you can put him in a spot and they're not going to move now he's mobile and crawling around and getting into everything so now it's now it's when things get dangerous damn uh yeah i scared the shit out of you guys i think <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i feel like this upcoming season is going to be like where you really feel the pain of having what one year old during football season oh, sure for sure like i said last year was easy because he wasn't he was still brand new. Now he's going to be in full-on Hellion mode. And, wait, and Melissa will be expecting them too, right? That is correct. That yeah. is correct. Was, we got yeah. baby too. Chuck, Chuck baby has sources. Coming on the way. <laughs> Chuck has sources. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so two stoners. Uh, but we're glad to have the OG one. And you've been watching some quarterbacks, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, obviously nowhere near as in-depth as I used to. But I've seen, the, I've seen like... Two or three games of all the top guys. So I have some takes, not super in-depth takes. Should definitely take them with a grain of salt. But um, yeah, let's start. Off, we should, yeah, yeah I, come on and talk about it. Yeah, I feel like we should start off with uh, Big Draft's favorite quarterback, Josh Allen. You know, the guy from Wyoming with the howitzer for right arm. You, I mean, just from our like our brief convos about him, you seem to like him more than we do and like in what aspect like are you like okay with drafting him um well i don't think that well you guys you're just completely all the way out on him i said that he'd be fine as like he's like a perfect second round quarterback prospect like right around the range where where hack went um the fact that he's gonna go top five is crazy but i mean like i said he's kind he's kind of be like the the perfect second round quarterback who you could take and develop and sit because, you know, you take a quarterback in the first round, that guy's going to play right away. Um, the physical talent and the throwing ability, uh, the ball, the way the ball comes out of his hands is obviously special. And, I mean, when you squint, I, you could see, like, little flashes of NFL play and things to work from. But 
I mean, realistically, this guy's going to get way overdrafted, and he's never been good at football at any level. Um, I mean, we were even talking about going back to Juco. I think he completed less than 50% of his passes in junior college. So, uh, like I said, a a guy like that going – I don't know how you could justify selecting a guy that's never particularly been good at football or quarterbacking that high in the first round of the draft. Yeah, that's my thing, like – But the funniest thing was when he said, I think it was at the Senior Bowl, where he said that since he didn't have a lot of attention coming out of JUCO, that 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 put a chip on his shoulder. But it wasn't like he was this all-star that just kind of got looked over. Like he, well, yeah, who who's going out to JUCO and saying I have to I have to recruit this forty-nine percent passer? Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Just and also like, like, why do you have a chip on your shoulder, dude? You suck. he should have been. I mean, in the on the team that he was on, on the conference that he played in, he obviously should have been the best player on the field, bar none. And I mean, you could see that he was the most gifted, physically gifted player on the field when he was playing, but he was definitely not the best football player. There's a um, good luck to the team that takes him as high as he's projected to go. Like I said, if you were if you're telling me that I have some time to develop him. And uh, sit him and basically completely break him down and rebuild him from the ground up. Then we'd have something to work with, but that's obviously not going to happen in today's NFL. The the chaos spot I think is Buffalo. If like Buffalo has to move up to like number two to like jump the Jets, and then they just spend all those draft picks to basically lock in starting Josh Allen immediately because I. I mean AJ McCarron might start week one, right? But AJ McCarron isn't going to hold down a damn starting job. No. And they're not they're not going to keep Peterman too if they draft a quarterback in the first round. What that what an awful quarterback depth chart. I know. We somebody <laughs> said yesterday that that's probably if they were to take Josh Allen that's probably the best I mean the worst quarterback room in the NFL like bar none. The For the sure. worst one the worst one I can remember remember that's like close to that was remember when Tyrod Taylor was like the third quarterback and he wasn't being like thought of, right? He wasn't being thought of as someone who could, like, win that job until, like, uh, camp opened up. But it was, like, Kevin Cobb and, like, like bad Kevin Cobb, right? Like, right. Kevin Cobb who slipped slipped on uh, – he, like, slipped walking to the field and, like, hurt himself. That Kevin Cobb. And then, like, some – like, it might have been, like, Trent Edwards or something like that. The other Bill's depth chart from, like, oh my God, I don't know, like I don't five know. years ago. How disgusting. I mean, last year, the Browns, Kaiser, Kessler, and Hogan – that's pretty awful too. Future Pro Bowl quarterback Deshaun Kaiser. Wait, what, what's future? We're we talking about like what? When we're all dead, twenty twenty four. When he when he takes over the starting job next year for Aaron when when uh, he demands a trade to the Chargers. I'm preparing for it mentally already, man. Okay, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> those are our Josh Allen takes. Uh, what do you think about Baker Mayfield, Eric? Baker is the one where I feel like I'm way lower on him than everybody else. Um, like I said, obviously I'm not as in tune to the. I thought I found it really, really surprising because I still listen to a lot of podcasts. Because obviously I live in South, Southern California, and my commute is hell every day. So I still kind of, uh, I, like I said, I, I keep up with a lot of podcasts, and I was actually really surprised. Like he's a guy that Greg Cosell is really, really high on. And um, just judging off of uh, past types that Greg has liked, I did not see that coming. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, just kind of the proliferation of the RPO, the up-tempo spread 
all of that into the NFL. So you can kind of see a blueprint of how to make it work with Baker. I mean, basically, because that's what he's coming out of at Oklahoma. But, I mean, in terms of the physical talent, throwing the football, you know, arm talent, things like that, he looks like a guy that walked on at two different programs. Do, do you think his arm – you think – his arm strength is bad, though? Because I remember yeah. that was, like, a narrative. I don't think it's bad. Like, I, I don't think it's good. I, I think anything over 15 to 20 yards, if it's not completely clean for him and he can't step into the throw, that ball's going to hang up in the air. You see a ton of times where he's got a receiver open and he's throwing it down the field and he's, he hangs it up and he lets the, the DB actually catch up to the wide receiver and make a play. Um, I kind of started skimming through uh, through Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, and he brought that up too. It was like that was a big reason why people loved D.D. Westbrook so much coming out is because it's like, oh my god, this guy makes so many contested catches. Well, he's got a quarterback who's throwing him into contested catch situations a lot. Yeah, that's definitely that that like hanging things, especially down the middle. That's one thing that I noticed a lot because he, he cannot got... throw the post. If he can develop, if he can develop the post, because. Really, you have to be able to throw the post in the NFL. You have to, um, you have to be able to hit that. That has to be like, if you can't hit any deep ball, that has to be the one that you can hit. Because, I mean, it's an easy lineup throw right down the middle of the field, so the angle for the quarterback is is easier. You just kind of got to pop it up over the top. And if you can throw the post, you can force the defense to um, account for it, and you can get them into different or uh, more favorable coverages if they're accounting for that deep shot down the middle. So, <laughs> nope, no post, no NFL quarterback. That that's that's kind of a hard and fast rule that I have. All right, so how do you, how do you feel about him versus Deshaun Watson? Because those are both two guys who were like insanely productive in college. So, how do you feel about them as prospects? I know you were a Watson guy last year. Yeah, I was a big Watson guy. Um, I think that Deshaun. Watson definitely I don't want to say he had a they both have great commands of their offense Deshaun obviously went through that stretch where uh, he was making quote-unquote bad decisions forcing the ball a lot into coverage but I mean when it came down to it when you saw when you saw Clemson really play against high-level talented teams obviously the two games against Alabama um, in games where, you know, teams could really lock up and play man against them. And, I mean, he excelled and, and he made big plays. The thing that is worrisome about Baker is I, the second half of the Georgia game is very, very concerning because that's kind of the one game all season where it's like, all right, this is a defense that has equitable talent to his offense. They lined up in man coverage in the second half and s- said, we're going to, you know, force you to play from the pocket and beat us. We're going to send some weird pressure packages at you to make you uncomfortable. And it wasn't even so much that he couldn't make the throws. That was concerning enough as it is, but he struggled really bad with the pressure. And I know that the improvisation part of his game is a big strong suit, but his command in the pocket of the second half of this, he drifted and scrambled a lot into pressure. So, Against NFL rushers, you know, whether it's edge rushers or blitzing guys up the middle, just faster NFL defensive front sevens. Um, I don't know if he's going to have the true athleticism and escapability to get away from those guys and really lean on that improvisation game like how he has in, in college. Yeah, I think Waldman compared him to, I, I want to say it was Waldman because I know he's going to listen to this. Uh, 
I think he he compared him to Jeff Garcia. How do you feel about that as a comp? Uh, I can see that. I mean, well, the thing is, is about Jeff Garcia. Jeff Garcia, he had a, an excellent prime, but it took him a while to get started in the NFL. You know, he was a guy he had. I don't think he had. He didn't get drafted. He had to go into the CFL and basically become like a CFL MVP, I believe, just to get the 49ers to give him a shot in camp. Um, and he was already like 25 or 26, I think, at that point. Um, Steve Young goes down in a Monday night football game against Arizona. Uh, Justice, I think I've sent you the clip of that, of that hit. Um, uh, like Steve Young's yeah, final Steve play. Young. Yeah, 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 it's pretty Steve Young's brutal. final like, play. There, there are a couple like that. I saw there's there's a clip of uh, Roger Staubach. I think it's his last year in the NFL because he retired after like a decade in the NFL. And it was like in the 70s and he retired from concussions. And I was like, my God, like I didn't, I didn't really know guys were like retiring from the NFL in the 70s for concussions. And then I saw like the hit that it took to take to make uh, Roger Staubach retire. And I was like, these are fucking brutal. Yeah. I mean, like I said, just the Steve. Steve Young's retirement was, what, probably like 15 years ago or so, and you see that hit, and it's like, oh my god, that's like not even the same sport as what we're watching today. Um, kind of off on a tangent, though, back to Jeff Garcia. So Jeff Garcia comes back in, or comes in for an injured old, concussed Steve Young. Has an okay first season. Um, he's got, like, Terrell Owens there to kind of buoy his stats, but I mean, he developed into a good quarterback who learned how to play within his physical limitations, um, you know, athletic, uh, kind of like uh, the the most low-grade version of the ideal West Coast offense quarterback, you know, mobile enough, not a strong arm, but understands how to play within rhythm and timing and can improvise if needed to, accurate quarterback. So, I mean, down the line, I guess I could see that if Baker uh, is allowed to develop and you kind of give him that time. Cause like I said, Jeff Garcia was not like a guy that was put developed on a rookie contract. And then his last couple of years of his rookie deal, they kind of see what they had. He had to go prove himself in Canada. So, um, yeah. So I, like I said, I guess I could see it, but just kind of keep in mind what Jeff Garcia's developmental path was. Yeah. I, I think I personally think Baker is going to be better than Jeff Garcia. But I think just when you look at the type of offense that you want him to play in, uh, I, I would put him something similar, like like RPO, play-action, heavy style that the Eagles have this year. But like you said, you probably don't want him taking all the downfield chances that, that Wentz was able to take just because those passes might get intercepted for Baker in the NFL. But if you can bring it within reason, like keep it within, I guess, like that 10 to 20-yard strike zone as like the max on him, I, I still think you can run a pretty productive offense with him yeah and i will say this too like i agree with that and i'll say this too um he might be one of those guys that just makes it despite of his physical limitations because that's where the concern i have i think he's i think he's physically limited but he honestly comes across as one of those guys that just might be a psychopath and overcomes like i said overcomes his physical limitations just because you know he he is not uh he's not a well like i said not a well-adjusted person and i don't mean that in a demeaning or, or a derogatory sense, but oftentimes, like, people that truly achieve greatness are not well-balanced people. I mean, we see it, Tom Brady comes across as a nice a nice, nice enough guy, but you really dig in there. I mean, Michael Jordan's another one. He, he obviously comes across as an asshole, but, I mean, guys <laughs> like that are just kind of psycho, and there's something intriguing to the story about a guy 
who, like I said, had to walk on to two different programs and basically stole the starting job both times and then won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's almost like you don't want to bet against him. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a great way of putting it. Like, so I mean, I'm rooting for the kid. Like, I, I'm concerned about his physical abilities, but um, he like he just might have that personality to where he can overcome it and take the. I mean, he he could be like one of those guys that's like a culture changer for a program, even though he's not like you'll never say, "Oh my God, he's like a top three quarterback in the NFL." You know what I mean? Yeah. We've had this talk on the timeline a couple times. I think it's been since you've been gone, but um, like quarterbacks who aren't psychopaths and the only guy that we could come up with was like matt ryan yeah or uh mariota maybe but he he's just kind of like a we, i thought we said good no huh? matt ryan's kind oh, of, true. matt ryan's kind <laughs> true. of psycho too he probably is dude you can't it's it's hard to achieve that level of not only like excellence and maintain it um but I mean, to be dealing with that level of fame too. There's just a lot, a lot of psychological stuff that goes into being a, a professional NFL quarterback. That I mean, not everybody's handled to equip it, and if you are, that is a huge, 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 um, adva- like that's a that's a big ability to have to carry around in your pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, another guy who has, I guess, kind of. I don't know if he's if it's good or bad, but he's kind of made headlines for his personality, and that's Josh Rosen, uh, the quarterback from UCLA. I remember his first game versus Virginia as a freshman. It was like I was there. He was he looked like the greatest quarterback of all time, and then I guess he dealt with injuries or something. But we we've kind of made I guess a circle where people are kind of touting him as this lead quarterback prospect, uh, and and people are expecting him to go within the top three or four picks. So. How, so, first of all, what was it like being at his first game like that? Because he was awesome in that game. Um, I mean, it was pretty cool. I used to have UCLA season tickets back in the day. Not that I'm like a UCLA fan or anything, but um, like I had free Saturdays at the time. And the Rose Bowl is honestly a much more enjoyable experience than the Coliseum. Um, so, yeah, his his freshman season... Uh, his first, I mean, I, I can't say that I really remember the details of his first game. The one that I really do remember is I think it was against BYU um, at home. And he threw like two really, really bad uh, interceptions in the red zone on almost the exact same concept. So I remember he had some hype going into that game from the first couple of games. And then uh, that game kind of made me say, all right, he looks like an 18-year-old quarterback, freshman quarterback. But I mean, as he's kind of... Uh, developed through the years and what he's kind of grown into i think he's obviously like by far more advanced at taking advantage of the intermediate passing game and kind of uh not the hardest throws to make but the ones that are going to the ones that are most built into an offense so to say you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that he's not just he's not just dumping short or chucking it deep like he has a really really good command of of the intermediate passing game. I think he's, you know, definitely a cut above of all the other quarterbacks in this class. I mean, and a lot of time that's, that's just something that comes from starting a lot of games. Um, but then again, I mean, there's other quarterbacks in this class that have started a lot of games and don't have that command of the intermediate portion of the field. So that's an area where I really do think he's special. Um, the personality questions. I mean, where do you even want to start with that? Because there's been so many different things that have been, that have been kind of, lobbed out his grenades at him yeah because 
so if we're going to talk about personality questions, it has to start with the the Dilfer Elite Eleven stuff, right? Which Dilfer has since said, like, they're good. Yeah, um... And I don't remember the exact details of that story. I know I know Waldman's talked about it quite a bit, but I mean he basically got into a whiteboard argument with Dilfer. I mean he's he's what he had to have been like seventeen years old at the time, maybe eighteen. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean Dilfer is kind of uh over the last, you know, ten years or so rebranded himself as like the X's and O's guru who goes out and teaches it to to elite high school recruits and stuff like that. So um I mean a lot of guys who coach and teach do not appreciate pushback from their pupils. Um, they want them to be, you know, good boys who are attentive and, you know, just learn things and do things the way that they taught them that, that they are teaching them because that's, you know, that's how I learned it. That's how, how I know how to teach it. And I don't know the exact details of what the argument was, but I know it was specifically – so it wasn't anything like personal or anything. It was specifically on the whiteboard where there was a concept drawn up and um, I guess Rosen had a different idea or methodology of how to attack a certain coverage with a certain route combination. Dilfer blew up at him and then Dilfer ended up coming around down the line and being like, you know what, like maybe I wouldn't do it or teach it this way, but if you got the ability and you can see it like that, then you know, go ahead and make it happen. Yeah, I don't know if you listened to uh, Bomani's pod yet. Uh, he, he, he just like the the right time just started up again, but he was talking. Yeah, about, it just started again, right? Yeah, he like was talking. First show was like a day ago. Yeah, so he was talking about Josh Rosen, and uh, you know, he he was talking about pretty much everyone, like everyone who's an adult reaches a point where they're just not going to let a teenager talk back to them. And he said that Josh Rosen kind of had to make he had to figure out a way to make people feel good about him being the smartest guy in the room. And I just I just thought like that point of a grown man is not going to let a teenager talk back to him was was kind of funny and pretty spot it's salient. On. Yeah, it's, it's a salient point. You, I mean, that's dead on. Yeah. And a lot of people do not know how to deal with the personalities of gifted youngsters. Um, like I said, I, I, intelligence like that is threatening to a lot of people, especially if those people are in authority and their authority is basically drawn from, you know, I have the most experience and intelligence and all the things that you hire a head coach for or an offensive coordinator for, basically. And you've got this young dude who, like I said, basically – threatens the foundations of that guy's knowledge and not only that but this guy is going to be your your quote-unquote leader on the field the 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 guys the guys on the team i mean if he if he's got the personality for it he's the strongest personality in the room the guys are going to follow him so um yeah you have dealing with dealing with like i said really really intellectually curious and people like that i mean and then there's it's kind of weird how he's been given, like, the millennial tag, even though, like, this is an entire class of millennials. It's kind of weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're all the same, Bro, they're all the same age, so I don't know why he's the millennial of the class. Well, they do the weird, like, Sam Darnold is a blue-collar guy, even though... He's from Orange he, County. He's from, he's he from, like, Dana Point or something. He's, like from the beach yeah it's, it's somewhere i don't know but it's definitely orange county he's like from the beach and his grandpa was an olympian and like his whole family 
Glad he's like from it. the same. He's like from the same area as like the Khalil brothers, and you know how. Yeah. I've talked to you oh, before yeah. about like, um, Orange County offensive linemen that play at USC. They're for sure a type. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's there's nothing about there's nothing blue collar about Sam Darnold. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's just kind of weird the tags that these guys get. Uh, it definitely comes from, uh, like I said, from his intellectual curiosity. I think Moore's exact quote was like, "You have to find a way to keep him engaged, or else he'll kind of he'll check out." I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the gist of it, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean. The way that I interpret that is, I mean, I think he's good enough to where I understand that personality type quite well. So, I like, it, even if you're not challenging him and he's not engaged, I think his talent level is still at the point where he's going to be a competent to good quarterback. It's if, if you can keep him intellectually engaged um, and challenge him, and like I said, not everybody's going to be up for that but kind of keep him from getting bored and going through the motions. And that's when you're going to unlock like another level of his game. And he's going to be, you know, top tier quarterback, however you want to label it or whatever. But I mean, it, it's not going to be a job for everybody dealing with that type of personality. So, I mean, it's kind of unfair how it gets, uh, freight, like how the discussion gets framed, because like I said, he's not the only millennial in his class. It's not a bad thing to be intellectually inquisitive. And, but I mean, Football is a pretend military game, and at the end of the day, uh, GMs and coaches want a certain structure of everybody falling in line and everybody, you know, buying in and swimming in the same direction. And anything that threatens that is threatening to them if they don't understand it. Um, and like I said, dealing with uh, dealing with different personality types—that's a part of management that you don't really understand until you actually get into it uh i have the facts now so sam darnold it, it was born in capistrano beach dana, dana point dana point sound right? yeah and then he went to high school in san clemente yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> he's not blue collar he's not a blue collar guy he probably does every single thing that he's told and you know i mean he just kind of like i said I, obviously we don't know any of these guys personally but um, he just kind of has that, you know, good soldier. I'll run through a brick wall for my coach and do what I'm told kind of vibe. But I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know any of these guys personally. So but I can see that, that, that personality is definitely, like I said, attractive to decision makers. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about Mr. Orange County, Mr. Blue Collar. <laughs> so ridiculous. Right. Um, son of Dick Hammer. Yeah. Yeah, Sam Darnold. I, uh, I, I think we can all. I, f I mean, it feels pretty safe to say that the Browns are probably going to take him with the first overall pick, which to me just kind of feels like more of the same. Because you know, I, I, I feel like he was just a kind of a turnover machine last year, and you just left. You just traded away a turnover machine quarterback. So I don't really understand like the appeal there for the Browns. Like I get he's the youngest quarterback prospect ever. I think. But yeah, he is. They, I think he's going to be like twenty on opening day. Yeah. I. Uh, so I mean, I. I just. I just. I. I kind of get the appeal, but at the same time, I don't get it at all. Because sometimes you know he was recruited to USC as a linebacker, and he looks like a quarterback playing. He looks like a linebacker playing quarterback sometimes. Yeah, he for sure has that. Uh, 
just with the awkward throwing motion and how his accuracy is so erratic in decision making in the intermediate game, he really is like a smaller, strong armed version of Bortles, who was also a convert. I mean, Bortles, I think, played tight end and linebacker growing up and then converted to quarterback late in high school, I believe. So, I mean, the, the comparison is definitely there. Um, the thing is with Darnold, he's kind of a, uh, what do you, what do you call it? A Rorschach test, like an inkblot test. Like whatever you want to see with Darnold is what you're going to see. Cause you kind of see like, he's so young that you can just kind of, uh, pick up on the obvious things about his game that are there and kind of amplify it and say, this is what he is. Um, I mean, the arm talent is definitely there and he's got that kind of, I mean, he's not like quite like Josh Allen level, but you could tell that he sling, he's slinging it to the point where you could tell because the trajectory of the ball, like it almost seems like it has no upward climb at all when he's throwing downfield. You know, do you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of hard to describe, but just like the trajectory and the, and the way that the ball travels, you could tell that dude has a very, very, very strong arm. Um, like I said, just the, the, uh, the intermediate portions of the field, he's kind of a complete mess. And honestly, he was not very productive against good or winning teams. Um, his, the USC teams that he quarterback didn't win a lot of games against teams that were ranked or had winning records. Um, I mean, really, like, he was really good at home games in the Pac-12, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, his his home road split, I, th- I can't remember what it is, but I know that uh, Helton, Clay Helton, the head coach, he's like 500 on the road and like undefeated like in the city of Los Angeles. If you include like his games in the Rose Bowl and stuff, yeah, um, and there's a huge split between uh, ranked and unranked opponents. Like other than other than that Rose Bowl game, like if you look at what Sam Darnold did against ranked opponents, it's it's pretty drastic compared to what he was doing against like Colorado and like Arizona. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, you know who he actually kind of reminds me of in terms of uh, I mean the guy who I'm about to talk about was obviously a much much higher recruit coming out of high school. But it's in the same way that they were kind of anointed two or three years before they came out. And um, we just kind of, everybody just kind of decided that this was the best guy and he's got a really, really strong arm and he's super young, so he's going to be good. It's Matt Stafford. And um, I could actually see their, their careers kind of panning out similar. I mean, obviously Stafford lost time early because of injury, but his first few years he was really erratic. I mean, he was, I think he was the youngest quarterback ever when he was drafted and started on opening day for Detroit, but kind of erratic for a few years. And then, I mean, he's he ends up becoming a quarterback that's got so much volume that the stats are impressive, but he's still kind of erratic and efficient. And like, he, he ends up settling into a guy where it's like, all right, we don't have a quarterback problem. We're not looking to replace him. He's going to get his $100 million contract or whatever. But you never really feel like you have like a top 10 or a top 5 quarterback, like a true elite game changer. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I could see, I could see Darnold's career kind of panning out like that. Yeah. Cause I think that's, I, I think Chuck and I are kind of in the same spot with Sam where we're like, I mean, he's not a guy you trade up into the top five and give that quarterback tax for. Right. But if he falls to you and you're like Arizona and you're at 14, I mean, you might as well take him. And I think right. the reason behind that is. I think we, we talked about this a lot when Jameis came out and when we were talking about like Eli and Jameis and like, peaks and valleys and stuff like that i like sam darnold is gonna have peaks in the nfl where you can make a legitimate like deep playoff run right i I, I think that 
everyone can forecast that is the consistency thing. Like he right. led he led college football in in turnovers this year, right? Uh, I think Pro Football Focus said the first half of his season he was the worst graded quarterback that they had in college football, which includes like guys at like New Mexico State and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, right? I mean, I, so, I, like I said, I'm on the West Coast, so I see like quite a bit of Pac-12 games in passing. Um, I never sat down and watched a Sam Darnold game and came away like, oh my god, like that guy's absolutely incredible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even when it was like the Rosen Sam Darnold game. So you talked about like Rosen's intermediate game uh, for setting the edge. I think I cut their first uh, UCLA's first eight games of like Josh Rosen throwing beyond ten yards, right? And right. it was very clear that his intermediate game was way more developed than his deep game. But even like in the USC UCLA game. What I came away walking away with, even though Sam Darnold won, was like, oh, yeah, this is like Josh Rosen's like best deep game by far. He definitely has it like in his tool belt if he needs to go to it. He just wasn't consistent with it like against Texas A&M. I don't know if you saw that game at all. Or oh, he definitely God. threw like two touchdown passes where they should have been picked off doing a little Baker Mayfield late throw over the middle special. Yeah. Yeah. The thing – yeah, that, that Texas A&M-UCLA game, I mean, Rosen could have walked away with that game from that game with four picks easy, but – Texas they just didn't they just didn't take advantage of it. And I remember uh Steve Palazzolo, our good pal at PFF Steve, he put out an article like a few months ago. It was it was after the season saying that Rosen is kinda on that Eli Jameis spectrum and he just got ripped to shreds. Like I don't know where Draft Twitter has decided that Rosen's like this perfect guy, but that that's been one of like the more weirdly interesting developments to me over the past couple of months. But the, the thing is, if you're like in, if you're in on Rosen, you were probably in on James too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. like, I don't even, I don't even know like why you would be mad. Like, if people would be mad about that, I feel like people would be mad that like James is thrown in like the same level as like Eli. But I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 weird. So uh, last quarterback we'll get to. Let's talk about the quarterback that is ripping everyone to shreds. Uh, Lamar Jackson. I'm, he's personally my quarterback from one i just think when you just look at what he's able to do as a passer and then you bring in like the legit four three speed even though he didn't run a 40 we all know that he's fast and will be one of the fastest players on the field uh i i I just feel so good about his potential like if if he if he falls to i don't know like a playoff team and just gets to sit for a year and maybe he moves on for the saints or whatever I, i think that's a perfect situation for him but i also think he's a guy that can come in and start from day one and and at least, you know, keep you floating as an offense, even if his passing isn't spectacular. What do you like? What do you think about uh, Lamar, Eric? Um, I like Lamar a lot. I think Lamar and Rosen are in a clear tier above the rest of the quarterbacks. I'd have those two at the top. Um, and really what it comes down to between those two guys is just kind of like personal preference in the style of quarterback you prefer. Um, I think there's a clear separation between those guys and then say like Darnold another tier under them and then um, Baker another tier under that and then a Ro- and then Allen's like I said I the the area that Allen is being talked about going in I would not be into that at all. Um, Lamar though he what a strange case in that it seems like the media absolutely detest him but i mean i think lombardi talked on gm street about how like 
the media can't stand him, but NFL teams actually really like him, which is, I think, something that's good. I mean, kind of saw the same thing happen with Mahomes last year. You know what I mean? Early in the process, like, it seems like everybody was out on that on him, but like a week or two before the draft, you started really hearing the uh, that teams were actually quite in on him. And I mean, I think a lot of it is is because NFL media people, whether they're reporters or they're actually analysts breaking down game tape and doing write-ups and stuff like that, um, we tend to look at offensive structure the same way that like an offensive coordinator would look at it as because you're looking to explain like like I said the intricacies of the play and how the design really ties everything together with the drops and the routes and the conceptually how I mean it's all it's this you know this beautiful ballet basically and when you have a guy who is an improviser and you know running quarterback whatever whatever label that you want to give them when you look at it through the lens of an offensive coordinator's eye he's thinking in his mind you know i have this beautifully structured play within a beautifully structured offense and if this guy doesn't just like what he sees out there he's gonna run around and break my beautiful play basically um and you turn but turn around and look at it from like I said, this is why I think NFL teams will like him more and like teams who have kind of a defensive bent or that defensive influence will like him more. Because if you turn around and flip it and look at it through the perspective as a defensive coordinator, how we get to that part is exactly the same. I have this beautifully structured defense. Everything is lined perfectly. If everybody follows their rules, we should shut this down. OK, we go out there quarterback doesn't like what he sees okay same thing i said for the offensive coordinator you know my my beautifully designed pray the quarterback doesn't like what he sees and he's going to kind of just do his own thing and improvise it works exactly the opposite for a defensive guy i have this beautifully designed structured defensive concept and now this quarterback who we can't really account for is going to go out and break my perfect defense and make a play and that play might be like a, a 60 yard touchdown run too yes yes and that's why i said like People poo-poo on running quarterbacks so much because they break these beautiful offenses. But, I mean, it's a do- not a lot of defenses are specifically designed to account for a true running threat at quarterback. And you see that most especially on third down and in the red zone. You know, the, the true money areas of the field. Scrambling quarterback, huge, 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 huge advantage. And like I said, that, I mean, that's why, like, we make fun of Rex Ryan and everything, but there was a reason why he like tried to do the Tebow, like tried to make the Tebow thing happen, and like c- defensive guys know the problems that a running quarterback can present to your defense. Like I said, you could have a perfectly structured play and shut everything down. This guy just kind of scrambles and makes play and breaks your whole defense, and now you're on the field for another three downs, or you're giving up a huge play. Now there's obviously a two-sided sword to that. Um, you're you're basically venturing away from efficient play and into high variance play but um you got a guy who you know rushes for 1500 yards and rushes for 50 touchdowns and can throw the ball both short and deep very well uh you have a really good quarterback prospect um obviously his the intermediate portions of of his passing game are concerning um actually really really similar to michael vick in that instance where 
he will just straight up lose sight of linebackers or guys dropping from the third level down to the second level. He just doesn't read that area of the field particularly well. But, I mean, in terms of being able to throw the short game and keep your offense on schedule and being to go over the top and throwing a beautiful deep ball and being able to hit you with the big play and all the improv- improvisation stuff in between, um, I think he's more advanced in terms of reading sophisticated route concepts that people give him credit for. Uh, Like I said, Lombardi has talked about this all the time, but Bobby Petrino's offense is actually, I mean, Bobby Petrino used to work for Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville. Like that guy. Yeah. He he was was the head coach of the Falcons for like 11 games. Yeah. He, he teaches a sophisticated (laughs) passing game. Like they've incorporated running stuff to be able to take advantage of Lamar's skill set. But their true drop back pass stuff is much more sophisticated than, say, like Oklahoma's. Even though Oklahoma's throwing the sure. ball a ton more, uh, what Louisville is doing is much more sophisticated. So, I mean, I, you can see I, I, this was something else that I kind of skimmed through when I was when I was just starting the RSP is that you can kind of see that in the variance of Lamar's game, he's actually better when he's lining up under center and taking drops than he is just playing playing from the gun and catching and throwing because when he's playing from under center like the rhythm and timing of his drops and his feet and everything is much much more synced up than you know the kind of uh catch a snap turn and throw it's definitely when when he's in the gun you could see how he gets that small base you know what i mean that hurts him when he's throwing deep because it's legit like i'm catching this ball you know turning my upfield shoulder up turning my left shoulder up and then it's just like scanning. You know what I mean? It's it's right. not really rhythm based. Like it's kind of on him to get into that rhythm, right? Yep, that's one hundred percent correct. So he's a guy, like I said, uh, even with the uh, I don't think his, the intermediate portions of his of his game are fatal flaws. They're they're just something you got to account for. But yeah, I mean, I love his potential. Um, I think he's a great prospect. I mean, I think. Robert Griffin III was probably a better thrower, but uh, in terms of accuracy, uh, reading the intermediate portions of the field, but, I mean, RG3 was great for his first year until injury kind of broke him, and that was the fatal flaw of, of Robert's game, is that he was almost, like, too fearless in the pocket and willing to take, you know, ungodly amounts of punishment. You saw it in the Oklahoma game when he was at Baylor. Like, that was the game where if you watch it, it was like, I don't know. Dude, this guy looks beat the hell up, and I don't know if he's going to be able to do this for, for 16 games in the NFL. But I mean, I, I think he's right there as, with Robert <clears throat> as a prospect. Plenty of people liked RG3 more than Luck. Um, and, I mean, he had the rookie year to back it up, too. He's, I mean, Lamar's obviously a fantastic athlete. The, the comparisons to Vic are all there. I think Vic had a stronger arm. Um, Vic was obviously much smaller. And, but I mean, I, there are, it would have been interesting to see too, I to see Michael Vick go through college, getting the kind of teaching that Lamar Jackson was afforded. You know what I mean? Cause Michael Vick went to Virginia tech where they were running all I formation, triple option type stuff. I mean, not too far removed from like what Nebraska was running in the nineties, you know, very similar to that. So there was a lot of work to be done from the ground up with Michael, whereas, with Lamar, you're actually – I feel like you're getting a pretty good um, – his floor is, is set much higher than Michael's was. Yeah, I definitely think so. He, Yeah, just because 
go back and look at some of the. I've gone back and watched some of those Virginia Tech games, and like Mike, Mike was completing like fifty percent of passes in a lot of those damn games. You know what I mean? He was just putting up a bunch of yards on the ground. Um, I think Steve Palazzolo said because uh, I tweeted there, there was a video of all of Lamar's rushing touchdowns, right? And I tweeted something about how half of the NFL's uh, touchdowns are scored within like ten yards and like 85% of them are scored within 20 and how being a running threat helps. He was saying, you're you're old enough to remember this. I don't remember this at all. Um, he was saying that like Lamar Jackson's basically like Peter Warwick and a quarterback at the same time. Do you, do you remember Peter Warwick with the I ball? I do remember. I do remember Peter Warwick. Because I know, this is what I know about Peter Warwick. People talk about he was, uh, he came like a generation before he would have been like fully utilized, right? Yes. And then the second thing is just the highlights from that Virginia Tech Florida State game. Yep, pretty much. Uh, Peter Wark, if you can imagine, Peter Wark was basically like Percy Harvin, but playing in a one or two wide receiver ecosystem. You know what I mean? Like Peter Wark's only decent year in the NFL was when he was running as like a true number three wide receiver. To uh, next to Hushman Zada and Chad Johnson on those early Bengals teams. And by that, like, he had his one good year, and I think his rookie contract ran out. And, I mean, even with that, even we're talking early 2000s, so it's not like teams were still trotting out a ton of three, three wide receiver sets or three wide receiver offenses. So, yeah, definitely a guy that, that was before his time, for sure. Yeah, I just feel like we're in the perfect time for a guy like Lamar to come in and just kind of take the NFL over. And I think, like, the biggest difference between him and a guy like RG3 or even Watson outside of the speed is, yeah, I think, like, when you look at RG3, he got hurt because he always looked kind of like a track athlete playing football. Like, he never... Yes, like, that's when he, correct. When he ran, he didn't really look like a football player. He just kind of looked like an Olympic sprinter. But Lamar, he's, like, out here making jukes, trying to avoid the big hits. Like, he's got a more natural feel for the game as a runner so i'm I'm really not too concerned about lamar being the injury risk in the nfl but you know what's funny is uh when we talk about uh i i guess lamar being an injury risk he's the only one of these guys that hasn't missed a game yeah which is yeah hilarious it's ironic huh isn't it funny i always think that it's funny too how we talk about how we talk about um running quarterbacks or black quarterbacks uh, being more of an injury risk because the variance part of their game opens them up to more hits. But, I mean, if you go through it, like, there is no moment in a football game where you're as exposed or uh, as vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah, as vulnerable as a pocket quarterback who can't move that's in the middle of his throw. You know what I mean? And if you really go through it, there's not a lot of true pocket passers who play 16 games every single year either. Those guys get hurt too. Yeah. And like if if we're talking about who who is like who's the who's the best quarterback who like mobility is like their the key to their game right now. Russ. He hasn't missed a game. Nope. <laughs> nope. He hasn't missed one game. I guess you know, he played he played through that ankle injury for a bit, but he has not missed a single game and he's in Cam what, too. That was 2012. Has yeah. Cam ever missed a game? I've maybe like just a just a couple. Yeah, I can. Re- I think I can remember like some Derek either, like Anderson Matt Moore, games. Derek Anderson playing like one or two games, but nothing nothing major. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's interesting. 
Yeah, and the, it's funny because if you just go back and if you look at the sack percentages for uh, all these quarterbacks, like their regular season totals, uh, Baker Mayfield was at 5.3%. Lamar was at 5.4%. Sam Darnold was at 4.6%. Josh Rosen was also at 5.4%. And Josh Allen was at 7%. And <laughs> who's the guy? Who, it's so funny because people always talk about Josh Allen. He's a big guy. He's going to get away from a lot of sacks. He got sacked more than any of these guys did. It's just the whole thing is just well, so stupid. He, he, and the funny thing with Josh Allen is he's probably the worst one in terms of hanging his offensive lineman out to dry and oh making it easier for pass rushers. He's got that, that Blaine Gabbert thing where he take, if he's not comfortable with what he's seeing, he's taking a beeline towards the sideline. <laughs> yeah. He's running. Cause he, he, cause he can he, like throw, he, like all those throw across your body cut ups that people take like a half second before he makes the throw. They don't show how he got out there where he's just yeah, scrambling it, and rolling around like Fran Tarkenton. And when you do, I mean like, that's not to say that he's like a pussy like how Blaine was because Blaine was legit. <laughs> uh, Blaine was legit afraid of, of contact. Um, I don't know if Allen is like that necessarily, but he's definitely very uncomfortable with compressed space, and he wants to run to space. That's his primary mo. I want to run to space to where I and then I can improvise and try to make a play thrown across my body. Um, that shit's not going to work in the NFL, man. I mean, yeah. that that's kind of the exact problem that Baker ran, ran into against Georgia. He tried to kind of do the same thing. And if you don't – it's not really an understanding thing. It's more of an instinctual thing of knowing how to use your blockers' bodies in front of you and redirect the rush subtly, kind of constantly change your launch points – not necessarily just running like a madman to space because you want to be wild and open and free. Um, I mean, those are those are some subtle differences. The way that that Allen does it, like I said, it's real easy for a defensive lineman or a rusher to just redirect his rush and chase him down and put pressure on him because he's, he's scrambling right into it and giving the, the, the defenders a better angle. The way Lamar moves kind of reminds me of like how Shady runs with the ball, right? Where he's like. It's not like the beeline toward the sideline thing. It's like I have a one-on-one matchup with this guy, and I need to like get past him in like two moves, right? Like everything yes. is pretty quick with him. Yeah, my yeah, my favorite that's thing. That's a good comparison. My favorite thing with watching Josh Allen though is like he'll you'll you'll see him like he'll take a he'll take the snap at the left hash mark, and he'll get sacked like over by the right sideline. Like he'll he'll travel all the way across the field and end up getting sacked without running and throwing the ball and just. Like when you see someone with that, like startlingly low football IQ, it's just like, mm, I, yeah. I, when, and you see like them said, do it repeatedly over and over again. I was like, mm, I don't know about this guy. He needs a lot. He like I said, he needs to be completely rebroken down and like rebuilt as a quarterback. I'm not. I mean, obviously they're very, very, very different style of passers. But um, I remember when. Uh, What's his name? The guy that played at Penn State and was drafted by the Panthers and then ended up playing for the Kerry Giants. Collins. Kerry Collins. Kerry Collins. After his uh, wow, drunken, yeah, after his drunken racist tirades, I think it was that got him kicked out of New Orleans. Jim Fossil brought him into New York because their quarterback situation had been abysmal for like t- basically since Phil Simms and Jeff Hostetler left. Um, so they bring in Kerry Collins, and Jim Fossil basically says, like, I'm taking him, like, 
back to quarterback elementary school. Like, we are going to completely break down. Because Kerry played early for Carolina. Um, he was thrown into the fire early. So Fossil was like, we're going to completely break him down. We're going to, you know, rebuild him from the ground up, his feet, his release, everything. And by the time he got into, like, a couple of years into New York, he actually had a couple of decent seasons and was, re- like I said, rebuilt as a quarterback. And then he ran into um, the 2000 and- Ravens in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buzzsaw. <laughs> exactly. The buzzsaw. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he kind of had a, a good career after that and actually had, like, a weirdly good reputation for a veteran quarterback. Like, I think Oakland gave him a couple of chances um, during Al Davis's final years. But I've gone off on a tangent again. But it, it's going to be, like, a similar thing to Josh Allen, I think. He's going to get thrown in way too early. Um, and his best chance is probably going to come with his second team after he gets sit sits and gets broken down like from the ground up. All right. Well, we're at 50 minutes, but we still got to squeeze in a little bit of Shaq Griffin talk. So, okay. uh, as we know, Shaq Griffin, linebacker for the rightful national champions, UCF Golden Knights. Did I get that mascot name right? I think they just want to be called the Knights. Now. Okay, the Knights. they don't like they don't like the Golden. Okay, well he's a one-handed linebacker, four-three. You guys know the spiel, but how do you feel about him as a player? Because I know when you were still doing this thing and writing, a lot of people look to you for for linebacker analysis. And now that we have one with one hand, who actually is a pretty good football player, I just wanted to give you the floor to talk about him. Um. As far as the one hand goes, I don't think that it's, like, debilitating or anything because... I mean, I played games with my hand, you know, taped up and clubbed up. Um, ever, I would assume that every NFL linebacker will go through phases where they they literally don't have a functioning hand. Whether, you know, they got a broken thumb and it's casted and, you know, you got to turn it into a, into a club or whatever. Uh, he ob- he's been dealing with this his whole life. He knows how to use his body. Um, I, I don't think it's, you know, really a huge problem. He literally moves at a different speed than everybody else on the field. I think the one of the games I watched was they played against Auburn in their bowl game, right? Yeah. Okay, there was a scramble. They There's a game where he, I mean, he obviously played as like a 3-4 outside linebacker edge defender for UCF. He's not going to be that in the NFL. He, he's an off-ball backer. Um but there's one play where you see him fake a rush off the edge. He engages the offensive tackle. It turns into a, a scramble. I don't actually. I don't remember if he engaged the tackle or not, or if he just straight dropped back into coverage. But the quarterback broke the pocket, and he is working. I mean, he's basically working his boot drill and redirecting and expanding towards the sideline with the quarterback while picking up the intermediate defender behind him. Um, just a really, really great display of him being able to flip his hips in coverage. Like I said, being aware enough to expand with the quarterback, not get caught in that no man's land where you're, you know, you're too close to the line of scrimmage, not deep enough. So you're not, you're not impacting the rush or really back into coverage. Um, he got back, expanded, found the intermediate deeper defender, dropped right underneath it, took the throw away. I mean, basically every, like you don't have a ton of snaps of him doing off ball backer stuff, but um, just like little flashes like that, you know that he, he, I don't think he's going to really have in, any problems in coverage or anything. And like I said, he moves at a different speed than everybody else on the field. I, didn't he run like a four three or something? Four three eight. Yeah, he he looks like it. Um, he's big enough to play off ball backer. Um, I mean, he obviously 
there there are plays I will say when he's in he's not going to be a guy that's like your enforcer linebacker that's looking to really like clean up a lot because when he's in traffic and in muck and in the mess you can tell that he is kind of looking to protect that arm um but at the same time it's not something that hinders him from a down-to-down basis i i mean i don't think he's ever going to be like an edge rusher like how they used him in college i don't know if people have really been projecting him to that uh, but i think he's a fantastic off-ball linebacker prospect all right yeah i agree with you it's funny because his brother shaquille plays for the Seahawks and he's he's actually a pretty right. good cornerback and he's fast. He was he started he started on like opening day across from Sherman, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean yeah. He, he looks just like Sherman. I mean he he's a he's a damn good corner in his own right. And I think uh Shaquemin ran faster than him at the combine. He's got like fifteen, twenty pounds on him. So obviously <laughs> a very freak dude. Freak. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh we're all rooting for him. So yeah, I feel like this draft may, even though it's not very interesting, you do have a lot of characters you can root for and like Baker, Lamar, Shaq, uh, Saquon, guys like that. So, well, I th- I think like the the weird thing about the draft is like it just so much of it revolves around the quarterback position because teams are obviously trying to like giving up picks hand over fist to try to move up into the top well, yeah, five for these guys. They hold the key. The quarterbacks hold the key to the entire class, right? But the thing is, like, it revolves around the conversation of like who these quarterbacks are. But I feel like these quarterbacks have like we've known who they've been since if not last year, like, September. It's still the same characters that we thought were going to be in play other than, like, a Baker Mayfield breakout. That, right? You know, that is interest- That That's an interesting point. There was no – like, other than Baker, there was – you don't have the come-out-of-nowhere guy this year. These guys have all been known quantities for for some time now. Yeah, and I think it not, – not to get it too deep, but, like, when you look at, like, next year's draft class, this is, like, the first time that we haven't said, wait till next year for a quarterback because there really isn't one next year. There's the kid out of Missouri who plays in, like, the Baylor-style offense. He's got a pretty big arm. And then uh, Justin Herbert out of Oregon, and he was hurt for half the year. So, like, other than that, there's, like, not even guys who are, like, mocked, like, super, like as first-round guys in college football. So it's, like, I don't know. College football really didn't have, like, breakout guys. You know what I mean? Like, it went from Lamar 1, Baker 2 in the Heisman race to Baker 1, Lamar 2. So... Yeah, uh, so I think that's going to conclude episode 71 of Send the Edge. Uh, this is the longest episode in a while, so uh, we're going to be back next week for sure with Warren Sharp. He had a little family emergency he had to attend to this week, so he couldn't make it, but we'll be back next week with him to pick his brain about analytics and gambling. Uh, so yeah, five stars on iTunes. Thanks to Father Bo for stopping by, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>